The funny thing, though, is as we were walking through this and as I was thinking through this series and as I was thinking through this topic, church hurt has a lot in common with relational hurt. Our, our relationship with the church has a lot in common with our relationship with people. Why? Because we don't have a relationship with a building, right? Unless you're on my weird obsession on TLC, you don't have a relationship with a building. You have a relationship with people within the building. And so friendships, dating relationships, even marriages, they all show the same characteristics as does our relationship with the church at large. And with Valentine's Day being last night or yesterday or whatever, I can't even remember. I, me and Jess looked at each other, and we finally got home from everything, and I was like, ha, ah, uh, I, didn't, I didn't make a social media post. I am so sorry. I love you. So, but I told her in person, and I got her flowers, I think, right? All right, cool. <laughs> it's been a long week. We're learning a whole new church system. Never mind. It's a great training. Anyways, um, but, but that's the fun thing about relationships, right? Like, I'm th- going to be 31, and I'm, like, freaking out because I didn't make a social media post about my marriage, right? Like, I see her every day. I try to tell her I love her every day and cherish her in every way possible. Like, that should be more than enough, and yet our culture has made it to where I freaked out because I'm like, oh, everyone thinks we're going to have a hard time or something, right? Um, but that's the same way with church. So I want to read some of these scenarios to you. I, these are actually true stories um, that a BuzzFeed, ever since Pastor Jeff mentioned BuzzFeed, I now go to it all the time and just read these random things. Um, and so I typed in experiences of relationship hurt. And so I want to just walk through some of these because relationships can be sometimes the best thing, but quickly become the worst nightmare in our life. They can make months feel like years. They can make years feel like minutes. And so this first scenario was, um, we were together for over a year and always talked about getting a place to get, mind you, I'm, these are very secular stories. So don't think by me reading them out loud, I'm condoning any of the behavior. I'm going to put that out as a disclaimer for all ears to hear. But I think they hit for a lot of us. So we talked about getting a place together, but near the end, he just kind of disappeared. He finally broke up with me after a couple months of half ghosting me. There was a curse word there. I blanked that one out. (laughs) But just said he, I love this. He half ghosting me, but still loved me and just didn't have time for me. He's now married with kids, and I don't want him back, but I want to know why. What really happened? What was it that I did to make him want to leave? I haven't been in a relationship since, and now I'm not sure I can ever be in one. Scenario number two that they, that they had got from somebody. When I was out with friends, I would always complain about her, how annoying she was. And then when my friends took me places, I'd find myself looking at and flirting with other girls. It took her just a short time to find out for, uh, uh, yeah, it took her finding out for me to understand I had fallen out of love. Another experience someone had was we had been together for 10 years. My son had brain surgery to to remove a brain tumor. Finally, my son was allowed to come home. The next morning, I realized he was having a spinal fluid leak out of his nose, and I ran to the bedroom to tell my boyfriend and urged him to get dressed because we had to rush my son back to the hospital. He looked at me and said he had other things he wanted to do rather than accompany me to the ER. Talk about being hit by a two-by-four. When I got my son to the ER and they confirmed that it was a spinal fluid leak, I had to walk out. I cried and cried, bawling my eyes out, in fact, I then sent my boyfriend a very long text telling him to pack up his 
and to get out of my house. Number four, I asked my girlfriend of two years if she could make an effort to be a little bit more romantic. And her response to me was, I can't give you that right now. I realized I was wasting my time with her, so I walked away. And the last one, they knew their relationship was over when they said, I started to realize it was over when I had a miscarriage and he told me that I was faking it. Then to make matters worse, he kicked me out of his house when I wouldn't sleep with him because I quote, sleeping next to you hurts me. Why? What good is a girlfriend if, she, if we can't have sex? And these are things people walk through. These are experiences in some form that you guys have probably experienced or walked with a friend through or, or, or been through yourself. But if we were being honest with each other, the heartbeat of a lot of these stories are a lot of how some of us have interacted with the church. That first scenario, right? You attend, you get plugged in, you speak up because you, you feel like you now have buy-in to the church and you're wanting to, to invest, right? You're wanting to build something with these people. You're wanting to, hey, like, I'm starting to see something weird. Like, if we're family, and if I see something weird with a relative, like, we're usually talking about it over dinner or something. But you attend, and you get plugged in, and, and nothing gets acknowledged or seen. So you move on, and then all of a sudden, the changes start to happen. How many of us have ever been in those scenarios before with the church? If only they would do this. If only the pastor would sit down with me for 30 minutes. A year goes by after you leave, and all of a sudden the church is doing exactly the thing that you had brought up, and it hurts. Why couldn't they have seen it sooner? Were you the problem? In that second scenario of just being out with friends and complaining about their significant other, it takes one comment about leadership or ministry methods and one person to agree with you for it all to spiral downhill fast. Eventually you realize you're not in love with that community anymore. And you're left to wonder if the strife was on you or them, ultimately both being left to wonder. Did that church not work out because of me? Did it not work out because of them? But you made a choice because you're so focused on the negative that you could never see the positive or the scenario at hand. That third one where they had been together for 10 years and her son had a brain tumor and brain surgery. See, we constantly give and serve and are wanted, right? There's some of us in this room tonight who, who we feel so good and people in the church interact with us so heavily as we're serving. But the moment you become unuseful, you never hear from them. They've moved on to the next volunteer, they moved on to the next weird intern that they used to have. Right? There's someone that's just a little bit better at that skill. Your 10 years of investment are now gone. You feel lonely, unstable, unusable. And then they don't even want to give you the time to talk about it. And then the last scenario, right? Sometimes the situation gets flipped and the church might be in transition or it's dealing with some heavy issues internally. 
or they're just not equipped enough for certain ministries. We look at them and we say, what good are you? Sometimes we, we demand so much, we can be in that place of that boyfriend. Right? That we look at the church and we say, well, why don't you have a college ministry? Well, why don't you have a singles ministry? I see hearts all around the room. Don't worry, we're doing speed dating later. Just kidding. All the girls freaked out instantaneously. You're good, I promise. We will guard you guys. But right, how many, if we're all being honest, I think all of us, some of the adults in the room included, we've had the thoughts of, why can't you just do this? I tithe, don't I? You should have the money. I need you to do, we almost start demanding from the church things, and when it doesn't follow through, we say, what good are you? And we move on. And there's a lot of us in this room tonight, whether we are truly understanding of it or not, we understand that there's been hurt, whether it's from the church directly or indirectly, whether it's true or not, right? We've all experienced these things. And I think for such a long time, we've, we've just been like, the church is the church. It's God's anointed building. You can't speak ill about it. Or like the Benny Hins of the world who say, you shall not touch God's anointed and never speak bad about a pastor. I saw a clip of a guy today. He was going off at his church, and, and he, <laughs> it's something I would pull, honestly. Um, it involves spelling. And... Um, <laughs> He goes, all these guys out there with their PhDs and going to seminary and, and learning the Bible that way, you really think God's in the midst of that? I'm standing up here with my high school diploma and one semester of college, but I got the A-I-L anointing of God. And he goes, oh, sorry, O-I-L, because he was anointed by the oil of his whatever deacons at the church. And he said that, and I'm like, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, like, I would do that, but I'm not making fun of people with education, because clearly he just misspelled a three-letter word. <laughs> right? So, so the church is weird. The church is goofy. Pastors are clearly... Uh, you guys seen my grammar. Yes. We're, we're humans. The church is but walls, and the congregation is but sinners saved by grace. So how do we walk through your real pain that you've truly experienced, how do we walk through healing and finding a path forward and going, and going after this? And so I made you guys turn over to Revelation. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 1. See, because church hurt is real and church hurt is painful. And church hurt is not always what it seems to be. So to start, we need to make something very clear. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 through 20, tell us this. When I saw him, this is the apostle John seeing the risen, glorified Savior. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys to death and Hades, written therefore the, write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, they are the seven golden lampstands, and for the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. 
the most beautiful thing about this picture is, is it says in his right hand he is holding the whole church, the church at large, the universal church. And yet in the story, in Revelation chapter 1, when John falls as if dead to his, at Jesus' feet, what hand does he use to comfort John? His right hand. Because as much as Christ can hold the church as a whole, Christ is holding each and every one of you who's within the walls of it. He's not juggling. He's not swayed. He's not fumbling around. He's not waiting for you to make your next move and hope that you do what he needs. He is sovereignly holding his church. And he is so tenderly holding you personally as a son and as a daughter with the same might and the same power. Christ is in complete control over his bride and loves her eternally. See, a lot of us have been hurt. And a lot of us might have some, some thoughts and some opinions about the church. But Christ died for the church. Christ died for the body. He died for his bride. And then rose again so that she may have life. Christ is in the midst of all that is happening providentially. So he's, he's completely in control and yet he is walking providentially with you and I. Every step that you take Every breath that you take, right? He's the perfection of that song in a non-creepy way, right? Christ is always with his church. And I think there's a lot of us, you've been hurt by the fact that no one's willing to call out leadership. No one's willing to call out the church. You've tried stepping up, and you've gotten tamped down. You've tried having an honest conversation, and you get called a liar. You've walked into the doors of some places that have the word church on them, and you were hurt because they were never a church to begin with. And if you don't believe me that Christ is protecting his church and that there are good churches out there, Let's walk through seven examples of how Christ is not afraid to call out his church. The church of Ephesus, Revelation 2, 3 through 5. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake. You have not grown weary, but, verse 4, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent. Do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. There's a lot of churches out there that are enduring and doing a lot of good, and yet they've abandoned their first love, and Christ is not afraid to call them out on it. What, what was Christ's warning? Get your act together, or I'm kicking you out. Like the one girlfriend who sent a very lengthy text and said, get your stuff and get out. Someone, Beyonce, is it Beyonce? Everything you own's in the box to the left, right? <laughs> Ladies, all right, good. I got the lyrics right. I just aged all of you because the one's not laughing. All right. It was an early 2000s song. It was good. Revelation 2.10 to the church in Smyrna. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. 
Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested for 10 days. You will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life. See, Christ sees your suffering. Christ sees those small rural churches out in Ohio and Kansas and Largo and St. Pete. He sees the churches like Indian Rocks and Starkey Road and Mission City who are preaching truth amongst all the seeker-friendly stuff and the cultural appropriate things. And he says, hey, I see your suffering, but hold on, for you will endure and you will get the crown of life. He sees those who are holding on for his name. The church in Pergamum in Revelation 2, 13 through 15, it says, I know you are doing well where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name. And you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam, who, hold, uh, who taught Balak, to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so they may not eat sacrifice or so that they might eat sacrificed food to idols and practice sexual morality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of Nicolaitans. There's a lot of churches in our day and age who they look healthy. They look real good. Their social media makes them look like they're popping. But there's a lot of false teachers amongst them. There's a lot of cultural just affluence in there of people who you could walk into that church and don't know if you're in bandit coffee or in an actual sacred ground. Why? Because everyone in there is just acting like the world outside. Everyone in there is just following the next trend. The church of Thyatira in Revelation 2, 19 through 20, it says this, I know your works and your love and faith and service and patience and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first, but I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, or prophetess and is false teaching and seduces my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. There's a lot of churches out there that do a lot of good work. There's a lot of believers out there who, who it's, we got to get hands and feet to the ground, Right? If you're not working for a Samaritan's purse, are you a real believer? Right? If you're not feeding the homeless out of the buildings of your church, are you really a church? All the while, they're chasing after every immorality that they can possible on their own terms. And some of these churches, man, like they, they put all the pretty people in the front row because they know that's where the camera's going to be. Right? We don't want weird, ugly people in the front row. No one's going to want to come to our church. We start, treat, we start treating our churches like businesses. I have no, I, I got, thank goodness Elizabeth and Gabby take good pictures because there's some that they show me that I don't post that I'm like hunched over like I am half the time. My arms are cocked over, but I'm so in depth in a conversation that my posture just dies. <laughs> right? So like, I'm not saying we need to just throw those up there, but also I don't need to be like, all right, shoulders back. All right, let's have a conversation, <laughs> right? We don't need candid pictures on Instagram all the time. We need life. I want to show off students praying about camp. I want to show off young adults literally laughing until they're crying because I was playing with a thing of Parmesan, 
right? Like, that's church, that's life, that's real. But I don't have to look like culture. I don't have to give in to all these sins. When's the last time we've actually stood from a pulpit and even talked about gluttony? Yeah, that's a hard one, right? But heaven forbid, you know, we're all on board to bash the gays. But as soon as you tell me to actually watch what I eat because my body is a true temple and God calls gluttony a sin, how dare you? So I know your works, and, and your works are good. You, you do a lot of good works, but your hearts are dark because they follow after false teachers. The church at Sardis in Revelation 3, verse 2, Wake up and strengthen what remains and what is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Christ is not against shutting down what we consider a church in sake of saving his name. Christ is not against removing the lampstand. He is to be honored and revered. He will not be mocked. He says, you won't even know. You'll be so lost in all the things that you're now doing that you don't even realize that there's but few faithful Christians inside your walls. The church in Philadelphia. Chapter 3, verse 8. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are the Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. See, the persecution and faithful few believers will be held, but the liars and the dividers will be dealt with. There's a parable in the Bible of the wheat and the tares, right? Christ says, listen. Keep growing as wheat. Don't focus on trying to uproot every weed. For what does he say? For vengeance is of the Lord. See, COVID was super weird. COVID made all of us go nuts, especially our youth group age kids now. Like, they don't even know how to make eye contact for longer than five minutes. Actually, five minutes is way too long. Five seconds. There you go. I don't know why minutes came out first. I was hopeful. But the one thing I love the most about COVID is it really like sifted the churches. Those who would stand and be faithful and those who really just showed their true colors. They're, and this is even like stuff like back in like Arkansas and the boonies, right? Like where churches got weird. There was a guy in Bradenton trying to sell bleach and vinegar mixed in a bottle and said it was a holy cure for COVID. <laughs> Him and his three sons are in jail. That, well, <laughs> par for the course. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there was another church, a really big, well-known, good church, just a few minutes, not, mm, Tampa's, I say a few minutes, I speed sometimes, but like Tampa-ish area, 
they claimed that they had this germ-busting system. And I got Braden in here who's very techie, so I know that I'm telling the truth when I say this. He can agree with me. They said that they, it, it could pinpoint the particles of COVID and knock it out and, and sanitize the air. Is that possible? Have you heard of anything like that? You got what? They detect COVID, but they don't kill COVID. No. All right, cool. There we go. I was about to say, man, I just got proved wrong. <laughs> Braden, don't do that. They detect COVID. This guy's claiming they kill COVID. That church shut down. Why? Well, then you have guys like Kenneth Copeland who says he can breathe the breath of God on COVID and it goes away forever. So, um, yep, that's about half those people say too. Um, listen, Christ cares about his church. Christ is building his true church. Every church is going to have division. Every church is going to have those who sow in anger and sow in petty and sow in sin. But he says, I know your works. And before you, I set an open door that no one can close. Why? Because if you walk faithfully in him and you love his church the way he does, no one will ever shut that door on you. He will keep you strong. And the last one is Laodicea in Revelation 3, verses 15 through 16. It says, I know your works, and you're neither cold nor hot. I would that you, would, that you are either cold or hot. I wish you would pick one, he says. In verse 16, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jesus warns against their cultural acceptance and behavior, stating that he will shut them down. And the beautiful thing is about all of these, these, this caring and, and shepherding and guarding of his local church applies to you. There's a path forward and there's a path that leads to destruction. One for his church and one for you. Why? Because ultimately we as individuals make up his church. God's not staring at this building going, how dare you? He's probably looking at it going, please at least, you know, sturdy the walls again, right? Maybe fix the black, weird, dingy doors that have no window so we can't see if anyone's about to attack us. But he's not judging this on sin. He's judging you and I on our actions and our sins. He's watching us and walking with us. See, Christ cares a lot. You and I are sinners saved by grace. Christ is the sinless bridegroom, daily purifying his bride to one day bring her home. And I know you've probably heard this before, but I want to say it again to just clarify. Can you stop judging Christ based on his people? A lot of your hurt would clear up if you stopped attaching Christ to his people and the way they act. Because people suck. Luckily, some of us suck less because we're saved by grace, right? This means we also need to learn how to overcome and potentially even stop being the problem of church hurt. If the church is this important and church hurt is real, we need to learn how to overcome it or stop being part of the problem. Where we're going to end tonight is in the book of Jude. I want to take you over to the book of Jude, which was really funny. And because there's how many chapters are in Jude? All right. Awesome. You guys are great. Our pro presenter system 
would not let me just put Jude with the verse reference. I had to do Jude 1 versus, like there's more options than just chapter 1 technology, and everyone thinks AI is going to take over the world. God is good. Amen. All right. So how do we overcome the church hurt? We've now built and established the fact that Christ cares about his church. Christ will shut down and Christ will keep open. Christ will redeem. Christ will condemn. Christ cares about the church, the church that Jacob read about, right? We believe in the one Catholic church, the one universal church, meaning believers here, believers in Ohio, believers in Kentucky, because that's a different country in and of itself, believers in Yugoslavia, Ukraine, Russia, Israel, Palestine. He is holding his whole church together, and he cares for them. Let me walk you guys through this. In verse 17 of chapter 1 of Jude... The word is very clear, right? The word is very clear. This is no new thing. It says, but you must remember, beloved, believers in this room tonight who have been hurt by the church. You must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is those who cause division, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. And I'm not saying this to gaslight you or to make you feel small. Rather, I want to bring this up so that you can find that there is hope. There's nothing that our Lord Jesus Christ himself did not experience that you and I ever will. I think some of us in the room, we've been hurt by church and by religious people in such ways that we're like, there's absolutely no way that God has ever thought of this one. There's no way that I could ever bring this up because no one will ever understand. And we feel that sometimes in relationships, don't we? It's the same with church. But can I bring you to a passage that was written some 500 years before Christ's birth? Isaiah 53, 2 through 6. I said some 500, because I don't know the actual years. It's close to that-ish. But Isaiah 53, it says, For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look upon him, and no beauty that we should desire him. I think some of us already apply to that one, right? Or at least think that of ourselves. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, he was, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought our peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. But we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You want that one friend who can, who can sympathize with you? You want that one person who understands the weight and reality of the sinful brokenness that you're walking through currently, the hurt that you're experiencing and carrying around? 
turn to Christ. Christ, the one and only begotten Son who was on the cross and in full humanity experienced what it felt like for God to turn his face. The whole world went dark the moment Christ took our sin. That's pretty much, if, we, if, if, if it was us, we would just have to walk around blindfolds on 24-7. Like what's that movie, Bird Box or whatever? Like we would just constantly be in the dark. We, would be, we wouldn't be able to see even a centimeter in front of us with how sinful and broken we are. And yet Christ took all of that from past, present, and future stance, bore it, took it to the cross, and died. You can't tell me there's not a single person who can't sympathize with you. Christ can. Your path forward and healing from church hurt, turn to Christ. He is the only one. It's not a boyfriend. It's not a girlfriend. It's not a spouse. It's not your awesome pet that gets a little support vest. Some of the most recent ones look like they need a human to support them. Support animals are dingy now. Sorry, I'm old school. Give me a lab. Anyways, I say this because I want you guys to understand that you are not alone. No matter what hurt you've experienced, you are not alone. There is somebody somewhere, somehow, that God's putting in your life to be that love and grace and mercy towards you so you can now find healing because of him. You just need to look up from the darkness that you're feeling and see the light that God's putting around you. In verse 20, it goes on to say, But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. There's hope. And if there's hope, there's reason. And if there's reason, there is purpose to press into. Your life and the hurt that you felt isn't to the point where there's no turning back. If you are hearing this, if you are reading this, if you have breath in your lungs, you are not too far to have hope. You are not so broken that Christ can't put you back together. He is holding his church and he is holding you. Why? Because he wants you as much as he wants his church at the large, so be together. Why? Because that's where you're going to be able to press in. No matter what church you're at, no matter where you call home, there's a way for you to move forward and there's a path to dive deeper. And the deeper you get with your church, the closer you get with God. Why? Because there are godly men and women who are going to point you to the word and they're going to point you to prayer and they're going to point you to serve the next generation. And this is what it says. Wait for the mercy of our Lord Christ that leads to eternal life. Keep yourself in the love of God. How do you do that? How do you keep yourself present in someone's life? Be around them. Talk to them. We have to press in. And have mercy on those who doubt, saving others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Why is mercy powerful even for those who are dealing with church hurt? Your testimony matters. 
Your testimony matters. Your testimony is not the gospel. We've made that very clear in this room. But your testimony might be the one connection this person will ever hear to get them to the gospel. Your pain is not pointless. Your pain is purposeful. And it only finds purpose when you remember that Christ has suffered all. He's writing your story. And if you belong to him, no matter how long the hurt goes, he has a plan. No, longer, no, no matter how long you're waiting for something, God has a plan. Press into his church, press into the people that he's placed around you, and press in to Christ. You are not alone. So let this last statement of Jude be medicine. Let it be the, the palm that the, the, the palm that heals us, the palm that heals us. Let it be the mirror that keeps us humble. And I pray this brings brings a soothing to your soul like no other, like it does whenever I read these words. Because life sucks, life hurts, church is weird and church hurts, but church is also beautiful. Church is amazing. Why? Because it's Christ's bride. And the last few verses of Jude say this in verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory in great joy, with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Christ Jesus, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now forevermore. If you feel so broken that you feel and see no path forward, read this to yourself every day of your life. To the one who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Christ holds you. Christ is the one that's presenting you as blameless. Christ calls you worthy. Christ calls you valued. Christ said, hey, with great joy, I'm taking the cross for you. We're going to be covering something this Sunday in our treasure series. And in the perspective that I was thinking about it in this week, if we but for one moment could remember what we originally were meant to be, and then you understood the gospel was the only answer to the brokenness, you'd be forced to respond. If we understood that before the beginning of time, Christ Jesus had the cross set before him and he took it with joy, And, and you realize that he took it with joy because of the relationship that he wanted with you and I? And then even after that, the Apostle Paul says, even now all the things that I do say or think in the name of Christ are but filthy rags to his feet? That is how unworthy we are of his love and mercy and grace. And then we hear him go, it's my joy. how would I not press into the one who holds me eternally? The church 
is made up of sinners saved by grace. But when you start taking your hurt and finding a path forward, less people will have to experience the hurt that you did. And again, how does that not translate to relationships? Amen? We're so quick to rally around our friends when they get dumped, right? He wasn't good enough for you anyways. And they just start building you up like, girl, you a 10 and a half times 12 on a scale of two, right? Like we just go all out for each other on earthly things. Could you imagine if just us in this room rallied around each other whenever we were feeling spiritual hurt or pain? Could you imagine how on fire this group of young adults would be if all of us just were able to look at each other and say, hey, I see that hurt in your eyes. Can I just remind you that you're a daughter of Christ? Can I just remind you that, that you are a son of Christ? That you are reigning and ruling with King Jesus who is sitting at the right hand of the Father and every word you speak to God, he hears perfectly. Why? Because you're his. The one who made everything. The one who knitted you in your mother's womb. He knows you. And he knows that you're hurting right now. And that's why we're putting each other's lives so we can do life together so you never have to get to the point where you feel like death is better than life. Is the church weird? Amen. But the church is beautiful. The church is worth it. So find a good church with a good pastor and good people. They're around. If you don't believe me, at least look for the good people in here. There's an okay pastor. If you have your points, I want to leave you with this. It says, number one, church hurt is real, because I don't think we can say it enough. Church hurt is real. What you feel isn't a lie. We're not trying to gaslight you. We're not trying to break you down even more. We're not trying to cover things up. We acknowledge that church hurt is real, but there's a path forward. Number two, Christ is present and watching his church. Don't ever think that Jesus is blind or naive to the things going around this world in his church. He knows exactly what's happening. Number three, and I pray this one brings you a lot of hope, is all wrongdoings will be made right. In the book of Revelation, Christ tells us that there will be a point in time where he wipes away every tear. So if injustice never gets its justice this side of heaven from a horrible leadership or a bad run church or a false church, if you never see justice take place in that action, just know eternally one day it will. Vengeance is of the Lord and one day everyone will stand accounted for in front of God. And number four is in the midst of hurt, press in and show out via his mercy. Your hurt has purpose. Your pain has meaning. Press into the church and press into Christ. There's always a path forward, no matter how hurt you've been, or how lost you feel, or how broken you think you are. Christ is always greater than those. Let's bow our heads, let's bow our hearts. And then I encourage you, if you're sitting at a table with empty seats and you see some people by themselves, ask them to join. We need people. And we need new fen friends. Fens. 
And we need new people who we can hear their lives and how they might encourage us. So let's bow our heads and our hearts to the Lord. Father, thank you for tonight. God, I'm so excited you allow us to gather this way. I'm so excited that we can do little things like uh, a post-Valentine's get-together, God, and just a a photo booth and, and, and all these things. But Lord, guide us. Guide us in, these, in this time of, of covering questions and just allow us to sit in the fact that church hurt is real, but Christ cares, God, that, that your son holds the church perfectly, that he cares, God. If we can just understand that first fact, then everything else we cover tonight will make sense. God, if he's perfectly holding his church and he's experienced every amount of suffering ever, God, then I now know I'm not alone and that my purpose is found within the pain and the hurt and that you're going to use it. You're going to use our trials, our brokenness, our healing, all to continue to reach out to others with the gospel that brings us healing as well. Father, we love you. And there's someone in this room tonight who has never experienced the love of Christ that way before. They've never given their life to King Jesus to be born again to find purpose and meaning. Let that be tonight, God. But let this also be the medicine for our soul to know that you who is perfect and mighty holds us and will present us blameless as his bride one day. Father, we love you. We thank you. And all his people said, amen. And if you guys need me, I will be sitting right up here. If not, take some time to talk around your tables and then we'll do some trivia for prizes.